This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, how not to be a bad art friend, professionalism and empathy in writing. So this week is brought to you by Jules finding stuff on the internet. (laughs) It is. Before we get into the meat of that, though, let's just say this is our 300th Dissecting Dragons episode. Woo! (laughs) Wow, we've been doing this for a long time. We have, considering we started off with, yeah, maybe we'll do one or two a month, and then after that initial episode we went... Let's do another one next week. And then it just spun out from there. Then I remember when we got to 50, we thought we'd done an amazing amount of of episodes. And here we are on on 300. Yeah. It's it's sort of a bit mind-boggling, really. Um, Because it, it also, you know, you'd have thought by the time you get to 300, maybe you'd be running out of things to talk about. And yet the art world just keeps providing. (laughs) it's the gift that keeps giving and you know aside from the whole the whole art world thing there there is also i i keep having ideas of things to talk about madeline keeps having ideas to talk about um we keep thinking of things we can sort of drill down to the and really go into the details on that we've sort of only broadly touched on before so um yeah i don't think we're planning on quitting anytime soon (laughs) No, I don't think we are. Um, it certainly doesn't feel like we're running dry yet. <laughs> so, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been a pleasure, Jules. Yes, it definitely has, and hopefully, will continue to be one for long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, this episode, as I said, is brought to us. Um, by Jules finding things on the internet um, and a very particular case um, a very particular story which we will talk about in a moment involving kidneys um, yes. but we should say that after you know we've just had our Halloween specials we tackled some really big subjects in our Halloween specials. I mean, in previous years, the Halloween specials have been really sort of, way, yay! And then, like, this year, we were like, serial killers! <laughs> Cannibalism! Yeah, it was some, some intense so stuff. For, for the... It was intense. So, for those people who were like, oh god, this is too much, this is the episode for you, it's gonna be light, it's gonna be airy, we're gonna just be talking about writing and the writing experience, and hopefully it will be a nice reprieve from those heavier, very dark Absolutely. And after 300 episodes, that's a significant period of time. That's, is that five years? Mm. Or is it slightly more than five years? It's it's, it's um, been a time. (laughs) Which is a long time in terms of a writing journey, um, particularly when you are hybrid, as as Madeline and I are, and... It's a case of we are not really the same person. The same person? We're not the same person at all. We're two different people. We are not the same people who started out on our writing journeys in many ways. And that's a good thing. So um, 
using this episode yeah. to take a, a, the opportunity to take stock seemed a good idea as well. Yeah, just a little bit of a trip down yes. memory lane. Um, so let's start off by talking about kidneys. Well, and donating kidneys <laughs> and the jealousy of donating yeah, kidneys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyone who wants to really know all of this story, you can go to the New York Times magazine and if you put in bad art friend, it will bring up the source article. This was huge on Twitter, a f- mm. well, by the time you hear this, a few weeks ago. And it's mm. it's absolutely nuts. Just when you think that the writing world can't get any more bonkers, something like this happens and you're, you're, you're spun for a loop once yeah. more. And... Yeah, brace yourself for anyone who does go looking it. Is for it is a long article, and it goes into a lot of detail about people's feelings on both sides. Uh, I'm just going to paraphrase. Basically, there were two people who were, let's say they were acquaintances. One of them definitely thought they were friends. The other one was kind of like, I've never thought of her as a friend. Um, and yeah, what, I don't know quite where how to put this. One One person has been... You know, they both want to really make it big in the literary fiction scene, which is very, very difficult, by the way. Um, people laugh at, at genre fiction writers for writing fast, for turning out lots of books, for, you know, um, always producing more, etc. But we sell better. Um, that doesn't mean we're better than literary writers. It just means that we tackle, we cater to a different audience. The audience for the literary crowd is much smaller. It it just is. That's why nearly all the prizes and things go to literary authors because they actually need those to keep going. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you know that a, a really great literary novel, yeah, that can change your life. I I don't think it can change your life any more than a really great genre novel. In all honesty, it really depends on the person who reads the book. Well, I mean, certainly the amount of people who have Harry Potter tattoos, um, or you know. A quarter thorns yeah, and roses tattoos it's... or things like that. It just goes to show that genre fiction can have a very people can have a very profound response to yeah, basically. genre fiction. Um, so. But anyway, starting from the position of it's difficult to make it in literary fiction. It, it genuinely is, and you have uh, Dawson and uh, Larson, the the two women involved. Larson had actually done quite well. She is a mixed-race author. She had a Chinese grandmother mm-hmm. who tackles themes of, of race and belonging and things in her short stories and has done quite well out of them and appeared at several literary fairs and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, Dawson had, had not is still waiting to make it big. She's never really had anything published but she has done spent a lot of time tackling writing and, and teaches creative writing as well. Um, so that's where we're starting the story. Now, I would say that, that Dawson, the one who has not actually been published, possibly has some, some personal issues she needs to work on, but then don't we all? What she did do was she decided to become a living kidney donor. Now, in this instance, what happens is you go through a process and you donate one of your kidneys to a stranger who is on a long waiting list of people who need a kidney. Mm-hmm. And she chose to do this. Yeah. Great. That that you, you might even say that's noble. That was her choice. Fine. Not a problem. But she posted about it on her Facebook writing group. 
And then she got annoyed when people did not comment on the fact that she'd chosen to donate a kidney. You know, this was a huge momentous thing for her. Why wasn't anyone talking to her about it? Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the weirdest thing as well was that people were talking about it for a, a while. You know, they congratulated her and stuff like that. And then they stopped talking about it. And she didn't understand why. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, if someone bring if okay from that perspective, that doesn't necessarily strike me as suspicious because I would immediately go to okay, you've done this momentous thing, blah blah blah. Three months later, I would not still be talking about that because that doesn't personally affect my life. Exactly. It, yeah, which is certainly how I understood it was that she was she she seemed to be getting annoyed at people for not. Continuing yeah, why would you still be about talking it? about it? So that's that's already very weird. She also then I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. This was published in the New York Times, so can't be accused of plagiarism. Um, she wrote a letter to the person who was to receive her kidney, and later on she had the opportunity to meet him. He was a Jewish man. Um, she sent the letter along with her kidney, saying. Personally, my childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. I didn't have the opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin. A positive outcome of my early life is empathy, that it opened a well of possibility between me and strangers. While perhaps many more people would be motivated to donate an organ to a friend or family member in need, to me, the suffering of a stranger is just as real. Throughout my preparation for becoming a donor, I focused a majority of my mental energy on imagining and celebrating you. Um, which, in my opinion, is a really, really cringy letter. It's, it's I find that incredibly deeply embarrassing, even though I've had nothing to do with it. Because you decide to donate a kidney, then fine, you donate a kidney. Um, but then to send something like that that might make the person who received your kidney feel beholden to you, like they need to thank you personally. I mean, it might be the case that the person would want to, but that should be an organic thing that comes mm. out of them genuinely wanting to thank you, not from getting a cringy letter like that. That's just really weird. That's I'm doing something that basically this is, in my opinion, and this is literally just my opinion, this is virtue signalling to the nth degree. This is just beyond virtue signalling. Mm. So, yes, that was weird and a bit cringy but hey she did donate a, kin a kidney to someone who benefited from it and will live a fuller life because of it so still round of applause well done with mm. part of our story yeah. takes us back to larson who then started apparently working on a story which featured a main character um basically followed one of her own main characters from another story uh, a very flawed part Chinese person who had a drinking problem, etc., and ended up in a terrible car accident and needed a, a donated organ and received it from a, a very white saviour type character. Um, and it bore remarkable similarities to this particular woman's kidney donation. And Larson was one of the people who who was clearly in that Facebook group and went, yeah, I'm just not going to comment because what she wants is a round of applause and I, I've 
I'm finding the whole thing weird. And honestly, if it had been me, I would have found that weird. So I probably wouldn't have done the round of applause thing either. I'm not going to insincerely tell someone they're wonderful when I think I I am suspicious of your motives for doing something. So yeah, I, I get that perspective. But kind of taking someone and putting them in your story, whether you know it was a starting point and then you worked on the character from there or not, and then not giving a fellow author a heads up is also not a great thing to do which is apparently what Larson did. There's lots of back and forth. Yeah. You can read all the details in this article if you want to. But when Dawson actually got wind of the fact that Larson had largely taken her letter as a starting point and just reworded it, is when things really kicked off. Mm. And it turned into a plagiarism suit, um, that which is still ongoing, I'd like to say. But the idea of one literary author suing another literary author is ludicrous because unless you're going after Margaret Atwood you're not going to make very much money out of it you're really not uh, even if it's Margaret Atwood you probably won't because literary authors tend to not make very much money it's very unusual <laughs> so this isn't really about the money this is hurt feelings this is hurt feelings in court over a lawsuit and Having read the entire article and cogitated on it, I genuinely think both people are as bad as, as each other. That there's a lot of back and forth in messages and things like that as well, which we get treated to. Um, it turns out that, that Lawson did actually discuss this and discuss the fact that Kidney Karen, as one one tweeter dubbed, dubbed Lawson, which made me laugh, um, was the starting point for this this awful kind of white saviour character. But I think there was also... I, I can kind of see the whole you get inspiration where it comes from thing, but to not even change it, there's a special kind yeah. of chip-on-your-shoulder arrogance about that. There really is. And Lawson strikes me as someone who has a genuine chip on her shoulder as well. Um. Anyway, drilling down through all the layers... I think Dawson was especially peeved that this story was shortlisted for an award and was made part of a common reads program and got a lot of acclaim. And, you know, she's still kind of laboring away teaching creative writing and hasn't been published yet. I, I genuinely think that that might be flavoring this entire thing. Um, but yeah. she accused Lawson of being a bad art friend and, you know, things are still ongoing in court. So um, that is the nuts and bolts of that particular story. It, th there's lots more to it. If you want to go and read about it, please do set aside about 45 minutes to read the article because it is, it is a read, it really is. Um, but my personal opinion is that this should never have ever got to this stage. If you are basing something on somebody and you are not going to step back and remove it from that person enough so that they are kind of recognisable, then I think it's the decent thing to do to give them a heads up and not just try and sneak it by them. But I also think that, yeah, some of this is kind of sour grapes on Dawson's part because A, she wants to really get clapped on the back for the whole kidney donation thing, and B, she could be out writing herself, writing her own stories rather than obsessing about something that someone else has written. Um, and the plagiarism side of it, yeah, that's just stupid. What, what the hell was Lawson playing at? That was that was the stupid thing to do. Why would you take... 
It doesn't matter if someone has written a shopping list. If you take it and use it without their permission, technically that is copyright infringement. It doesn't matter whether it's registered yeah. or not either. So so there you have it. The writing world yeah. being absolutely bonkers again. It's one of those really, really messy things that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think we should tackle the we should tackle the professional jealousy angle of it because I think that is a large part of it. Um and yeah. Okay, one of my mantras is comparison is the thief of joy. And it, it's true. If you compare your progress in anything with someone else's progress, then you can lose all enthusiasm for what you've managed to accomplish yourself. Yeah. I think also the other thing is that if you compare your progress with somebody else, you can start to see it as a competition. And actually, the idea of authors being in competition with one another um, doesn't benefit anyone except maybe certain publishers who don't want authors communicating because they don't want yeah. people talking about pay or whatever the situation is. The fact of the matter is, is that actually you should not think of yourself as being in competition with other authors um, because... Yes, even in cases where perhaps someone's been chosen above you, the moment you start to see yourself as being in competition with other authors is the moment you you end up closing yourself up. And as Jules has just said, you start to actually put yourself in a very, very bad position, both mentally, you know, and, and you know, emotionally. It, it's a really, really messy area. Certainly, I think that a large part of any success I've had has been down to the community that I've been a part of and my friendship with other authors. Now, that's not to say you need to be friends with every author, and that's not to say that if you are a creative and someone comes to your door and says, hey, I want you to read my story, you have to. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but the idea of, of, yeah, pitting yourself against other authors is just not healthy. Yeah, I I mean, I completely agree with that. And it doesn't actually benefit anyone. I mean, yes, you, okay, let's say, you know, obviously Madeline writes urban fantasy as well. Not that, not that you guys have seen it yet, but she does. Uh-huh. And I do <laughs> as well. If we were to say that Madeline and I were in a race together, then that becomes slightly nonsensical it's like thinking that there are only a certain number of readers out there and they will only read one person's books when in reality where we share an audience where Madeline and I intersect and share an audience those readers will most likely read both of our books because it takes much longer to create a book than it does to read it so they're going to want the next book and the next book and the next book so what we could conceivably do relatively easily is just gently bounce the audience back and forth between us and everybody's satisfied in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be honest, it, it yes. helps. It can really end up helping your sales, particularly if you have someone who writes in a similar style to you. You can actually... Well, this is going to sound wrong, but you can you can 
get in on, on that readership. Say, hey, did you enjoy that? Well, you're waiting for the next book while you're waiting hungrily for that next book. I've got something to yeah. satisfy you, you know? And professional authors do that yeah, all the time. Absolutely. Um, there's very, very few writers who have managed to create a stunning piece of art in isolation. And when they have, they've generally only done it once. It's really noticeable that you're, yeah. that J.D. Salinger only wrote The Catcher in the Rye and that was it. Yeah. The other thing is that, you know, it's it's foolish to put yourself down by through comparison um, because actually it's not always just about how talented yeah. you are as a writer. Talent isn't the only thing which is going to sort of make something a publishing success or to, you know, garner interest from a traditional publisher. You can write incredibly well and still not be picked up by yeah, it- a publisher. Um, and someone could write, you know, okay and be picked up by a publisher. Um, there's no point comparing In fact, yourselves. I'm really glad you brought up the word talent because... Talent exists, but it's also a complete myth, okay? Talent simply means that you might start the race 50 metres ahead of somebody else. All the talent in the world will not get you where you want to go unless you put the work in, so you may as well work like you haven't got any talent. Because when it comes down to it, the people who succeed are the ones who genuinely put the work in, and the ones who build a framework, a community, and who have time for other people as well. Genuinely, because those people will then have time for them. You're not going to get very far on your own, and you're definitely not going to get very far just going, oh, well, I'm a talented writer. I know lots of talented writers who have never finished a single book. Yes. (laughs) It's incredibly frustrating, but it's true. Yeah. So ignore talent. Talent talent is absolutely irrelevant. You can learn to be a talented author you can learn talent mm. yeah and you can also write something which is really really good and it not be picked yeah, it up won't by get a picked up. publisher they won't pick it up traditional... if they can't sell it yeah. basically so you need to write something that will sell yeah. if you can't write something that will sell that's fine if you yeah. enjoyed writing it there are other reasons for writing but if your your process is if you're goal is to make a living out of this you need to write something that will damn well sell that you can sell to an agent that an agent can sell to a publisher that a publisher can sell to the public or that you personally can sell to an uh, an audience that you will take the time and effort and work to target yourself through indie publishing it's not going to just happen by itself and just as Exactly. And there's also people who are traditionally published are not inherently more talented or better writers than people who are self-published. A lot of it's just not how it works. (laughs) So the whole point of comparison is that it literally makes no sense that there there is no good reason for doing it. There's no good reason for comparing yourself with another writer because everyone works slightly differently. Yeah. And yeah. The only comparison you can make is if you look at someone and go, hey, yeah. I could do that. That That's the only acceptable or even, comparison. <laughs> even if you look and think, oh, well, that person has got the kind of career and lifestyle that I would like. And you don't copy them exactly yeah. in the sense of how, what they did to get there. But you look at it and think, well, that's what I'm aiming for. That's the goal. 
And then that's where the comparison gets switched off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay. I think it's also very natural for particularly writers and creatives to be at times a little bit envious of the success of their, you know, of other writers and creatives, particularly if they've been working very hard. But it's having that, you know, it's the line between saying, gosh, I wish I had what they had and say, and crossing over into the territory of why don't I have what they have? I'm better than them. Um, Or, or that I will never be as good as them so I should I mean, just quit. Yeah, the last one's bad, but generally you're only really making yourself unhappy. Mm. The ones that I have an issue for for are the people who kind of internalise it and become bitter, and then they lash out. They lash out at everyone, but very particularly against the person who they're jealous of. And I get that this is difficult when you've absolutely worked your ass off and it's the person standing next to you from your same writing group who started the same time you did who gets picked out of the crowd but sometimes that's the way it happens yeah it just means you keep going yeah because they're on a different path to you anyway yeah so i don't know and the other thing i guess is is constructive criticism in the sense of if you can genuinely say that person got picked and I didn't what are they doing that I'm not and they're not doing anything differently it's just a case of well they happen to write something that could be sold right now because writing is a business publishing is definitely a business then you know that kind of sucks but you just write your next thing that's the only thing you can do Um, and you also you know congratulate them do something nice you'll feel a hell of a lot better if you do that than if you sit there and sort of brood over it yeah, it's and you know what the other really nice thing to remember is that, um, it's it it's good to have the support of people around you. If you stop supporting people because they've been successful, then you know you're going to end up destroying friendships. You're going to end up destroying connections and things like that. Um, people who are successful, you know. If and, and I'm not talking about taking advantage of them or nepotism or anything like that. Um, two people who are on the same level, even if one has a publishing contract and the other one doesn't, will end up pushing each other yeah, to do absolutely. even better. You want those connections. You always want those connections. Yes, yeah, you, you absolutely do. I mean, I, I completely get the whole every time a friend succeeds, part of me dies kind of thing. And that that's a really yeah. amusing and you know very very apt statement in some ways but but yeah constructive criticism that's what i was trying to say i know there are people who are, i would say genuinely are talented writers but will not take any criticism like everything that they've written has to be perfect it's struck gold you can't say anything about it i think literally all they want you to say is how good it is which is not helpful. That's not helpful. And also, if people are only ever saying your writing is good, they you're either not allowing them to, or they are not investing properly in your writing yeah. and your yeah, journey. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, dealing with professional jealousy, um, I don't think I've ever really been bitten by that particular serpent. 
because whenever I see someone succeed, I'll think, oh, that's really good. Or, you know, if it's a friend, I'm genuinely so stoked for them. And there'll be part of me that's kind of like, I must work even harder so that I can I can follow them or so that I can have my own version of this. That looks really great from the outside. I want to be there too. But it doesn't ever seem to crystallise into a, I'm going to be mean and, and sabotage and say nasty things to them. Yeah, I, I've certainly been in positions where I've known people and they've had successes and things like that in areas where I'm trying to work towards. And I've been in a situation where I felt, I felt down about it, but not down on them, down on myself and saying, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't struck that. I haven't struck gold yeah. yet. <laughs> so, um, I wish that was me. Um, what could I be doing differently to make that me? Um, you know, I've had that and I've, I've had the, ah, uh, you know, I wish that was me. But to be honest, for the most part, I am just genuinely very stoked for when success reaches my friends. And I think a large part of that is probably actually to do with the fact that I did do an undergraduate in creative writing and I then did a master's, obviously. Um, but a large part of that was workshopping and the environment that that consistent workshopping within groups creates whereby to workshop properly is to encourage everyone whom you're workshopping to get the best yeah. mark possible. And because most of the people, you know, whom I you know, who who have seen success, I have been a part of their creative journey. I've been a part of their creative journey in some way, whether that's having actually read their work, having edited their work, or just having encouraged them, listened to what they've had to say. I've been a part of that. And so it should please me that they have succeeded because in my encouragement, that's what I yeah. wanted. Um, but that is something which I think, ha you know, comes with a certain level of training and comes with a certain level of experience of working with other writers. Something which I know, Jules, you've also done, you know, you've you've run writing groups, you've been part of writing groups. Um, and I think if you have, if you're kind of coming into writing from the perspective of of the rest of the world where everything is very much this competition and you're made to feel like it's a competition and you don't actually really like other people. Like, it's a joke I say to my first years. I was <laughs> like, um, who here is threatened by other writers? And none of them want to admit it, but then after a while they go, yeah, actually, we are very much threatened by other writers. It's a very sort of normal thing within society to be threatened by competition. And actually, I think it takes a little bit of time to learn not to be. So I guess when it comes to professional jealousy in terms of, of writing, I'm lucky that I haven't experienced it. And I think I haven't experienced it because I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where I don't need to. Does yeah, that make no, any sense at all? So. Um, and it's very noticeable that our both of our reactions... To someone else's success is to then turn it on ourselves and think right what can I do not to go the fault is in them it's not yeah. fair but 
but to go, what can I yeah. do? And, and that's taking yeah. ownership for, for the issue. You want to do better, then you do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's actually fairly normal when you've heard of someone else ha- having success to feel a little bit down on yourself. Um, I think it's a. I think that's fairly normal. It's not something that we can necessarily control, but you've got to you've got to check that before it it turns into an external thing. Before you you decide to apply how bad you're feeling and blame yeah, someone um, else. For as that. we've said many many times on this podcast, feelings are not facts. How you feel about something does not change its objective reality. So you might feel bad about someone's mm. success. But that doesn't change the fact that they were successful or why they were successful at that time or for whatever reason. The only thing you can control in that scenario is yourself. So that's where you should focus your energy. And I suppose I yeah. start to get a bit more impatient with people when what they do is they spread their energy outwards and in this sort of amorphous grey sort of bitter cloud that's a weird mixed metaphor, but you get what I'm saying here. No, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah, I my patience does start to run out. I completely understand people feeling jealous. I completely understand, you know, people having very negative feelings and kind of feeling, you know, maybe a bit bitter about a certain situation. We can't always control those initial feelings, but it's what you do with them. Turn them towards something productive and certainly do not turn them against other people because you're actually only making the situation worse for yourself and you're making everything worse for, you know, for other people. And there's nothing, there is nothing worse than being, you know, a person who is afraid to tell others about their success because they're worried about what the response will be. That's yeah, so definitely. disheartening. Um, just a quick referral back to the whole kidney story. Um, I think, I I do genuinely think, I mean, if, if Madeline had had a life experience that she happened to have shared with me and maybe a few other people, and it had inspired a story, I like to think I would have said to you, look, this has made me think of this. I don't really want to base the character on you, but do you mind if I use your experience? In fact, can I pick your brain? And I'm pretty damn sure that's that's how I would approach it. I wouldn't go off sneakily speak to other writers behind her back and then not tell her anything and hope she didn't notice. I think the kidney story is it's it's a weird one because this you know it it was a I'm I, I'm seeing a white savior narrative, um, and at that point, how do you go to the person and say, hey, I um your experiences. Um, are that uh, have made me think of this this white savior? Do you mind? Like, um, yeah, it the whole thing feels quite messy. Um, and certainly I can understand why. And I can't remember their names. Uh, yeah. Kidney kidney woman. Um, you know, felt that they were friends, and this other author didn't really think of them as friends and probably actually looked down on them and was writing a sa- a narrative about a white saviour because they were looking at Kidney Woman saying, well, this is a typical white saviour narrative. Whether that's true I don't know, because the way she, that woman comes um, across is, is very much sort of like everything viewed through the lens of race, etc. Because A, that's what's selling. Sorry, cynically, that is what's selling, so that's yeah. where she's going. 
but also I think she's genuinely got some stuff she needs to work out there as well. And not all of it will be false either. Yeah. Some of it will genuinely be there, but I don't think it's there in quite the way she thinks it is. Yeah. And again, I haven't read the story. I don't. We don't know the full details. We only ever see things through, you know, this newspaper yeah. article. So all facts, you know, perhaps Jules and I yeah. are getting something entirely wrong. Perhaps something has not been factually stated to us. We can only go by what we've seen. And by what we've seen so far, this is, you know, two people who were part, supposedly part of, of the same group. And one did something that the other didn't approve of. And that person decided to write a story about it. And then based it a little bit too much on on reality to the point of even taking the letter and maybe not actually changing it yeah. effectively enough. Or, or, okay, let's yeah. move on to uh, reviews and opinions. And, you know, w- without going into, like, minuscule detail here. I, I don't know, I feel over the years my my feeling about reviews has changed slightly. And if anyone listening to this reads my books and is thinking about leaving me a review, I'd be very, very grateful, by the way. (laughs) This is not me saying, don't leave reviews, they don't matter at all, because they are actually very helpful social evidence to other people who might like my books. So if you do it, thank you. I appreciate it. If you haven't done but think you might like to, thank you. I'd really appreciate it. Um, But reviews reviews are for readers. readers. And they are actually for writers in terms of taking the temperature of whether you've hit your target audience's expectations. So if you can if you can take a sidestep yeah. and not get emotionally invested and just look at it and think, okay, clearly that hasn't gone to the target audience I intended it for, or that is the target audience, but I haven't delivered, so I need to do something, then that's very useful. It's also useful in terms of of, of marketing in the sense of, have I put together a package that appeals to my target audience? So has my blurb, my title, my cover, and the general premise of the book, and the initial sample chapters that people can view on Amazon, have they delivered so that it's gone to a member of my target audience? And you can usually tell that from a review as well. Um, Once a book goes over 100 ratings, usually that means the book has sold so well that lots of people outside the book's target audience have started picking up as well. So you will start to get more mixed reviews and it won't all be good because some of those people, your book won't be what they were looking for, but they picked it up because it had such a great following. Um, And that's okay. That's nothing to take personally. That's just one of those, eh, well, you know. And that is where you do really kick in with the the reviews and ratings are for readers. They're not really for the authors. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things, I think particularly as a start-out author, you want to read those reviews. And reviews can actually be a really real boost in confidence, particularly if that's something you're struggling with. To see people engaging with your work, to see people loving it as much as you do, you know, that, that can be a real dream come true. And it can actually be very productive. But the problem is that there will be negative reviews. Um, 
And sometimes there will be reviews from people who haven't even read the book, who don't like it because of whatever reason. The you amount of queer people con- who... I mean, Jules and I have both like, experienced this. Oh, well, I'm going to one-star that on principle. Like, but, but did you read it first? Because you might have yeah, actually enjoyed exactly. it. <laughs> oh, well, you're clearly not my target yeah. audience, if that's your go-to. Yeah. I had someone who... Yeah, who just went through and, and had a, on Goodreads, you could see they had a very particular trend of what they read, which was uh, yeah. Christian fiction. Again, not judging anyone who reads Christian fiction or anything like that, but they read that, and then you could see that they'd given very high ratings to anything like that, and then they had gone through, and anything which had anything you know to do with witches or queer content or anything like that one star ratings at a rate where you knew this woman wasn't reading these things she was just rating them poorly because she didn't approve of the content that she could see in the tags um that is not no. helpful i mean it's, it's quite least. sad that person clearly um, has it, way too much time on their hands if that's that's how they want to spend a sunday way, afternoon way, way it's like time. that's i mean maybe you think it's the lord's work but that's Honestly, any god's going to be looking at that and going, get a life, you know? <laughs> get a life. Yeah, I don't know. You could be, you could yeah. be doing charity. Uh, anyway. Um... So, yeah, that's sad, but it's not something to obsess <laughs> over. And sometimes people will love the first few books in your series and you will naturally follow a direction that, a book, that your series goes in and other people will go, oh, I didn't like that. I wanted you to go back to how it was at the very beginning, not really re- recognizing all the cues yeah. and all the foreshadowing that's gone into your series to say it's going in this direction. And you know, that that's just yeah, one of those absolutely. things you can't please everyone, but you can only be true to to the essence of your story. Yeah. And you know, sometimes actually reviews can help you realise that actually you have done something wrong you have betrayed your readers or that there's an issue that you do need to sort of be aware of Um, but this is the really really big thing and I think again one of the reasons why I fell down the review rabbit hole when I first started out is that there is a difference between reviews and workshopping when a book is out there it's out there, it's done now, if you're working on a series, you might take a little bit, you know, of, of, you know, notice, oh, people seem to really be enjoying this aspect, so perhaps I'll lean into that, you know, if you're writing a continued series. You might do that, but, you know, there's a difference. So you could say that actually I'm not going to read any reviews at all, because actually it's a finished product, and nothing they can say is going to change what that finished product is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there is a, there's a sort of new writer kind of, I was going to say young writer, but technically I was in my mid thirties, so I wasn't really young, <laughs> but a new, new writer thing where you're kind of a bit shy of putting things in to start with. I certainly know that with, I belong to the earth and um, I didn't really have very much in the way of representation, except of sort of disability. And I was quiet about the other rep that was mm-hmm. was in there. I didn't make it explicit. And that's fine. That, that's whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to I Am Silence. And again, I, w- I feel I was a bit too tentative. And then by the time I got to I Held the Tide, it was kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. Sod this. I'm going to have 
I'm going to have Indian characters, I'm going to have Muslim characters, I'm going to put in what I like, I'm going to have a trans character. <laughs> and I was like, I am confident yeah. that I can tell a really good story and have these characters in there and the fact that they are these things as well as being the characters they are will not unbalance the plot. And I think sometimes that is the issue for a lot of people when they're starting out. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- you kind of start out with what you know, or and that might not always yeah. be right as well. People do fail in certain areas. No, that doesn't no make them uh, bad as we've always said, you know, writers must have room to make mistakes, and because you know we're people, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Um, so yeah, on, on the review thing, it's yeah. people say just don't take them too personally, and it's a case of. If you think you're going to, just don't read Don't read your reviews. Don't read them when you're in a bad frame of mind. Don't read them in order to feel better about yourself or try not to. Because then you start living for the reviews instead of living for the writing. And the writing should be the thing that you're focusing on, not, not people's approval. In the same way that in, in real life, in anything yeah. else, yes, it's nice to get approval. It's nice to be complimented. But you should be focusing on being enough in yourself and then nothing will actually ever really be able to cut your legs out from under you. Yeah. And it can. It's really easy to fall down that. I have had moments, you know, especially when I was starting out, where the review situation has really, really upset me. Um, To the point that I should never have let it do that. But I was young. I was figuring things out. You know, I was also coming from this... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from like this workshopping situation uh, um, and also people can be really mean yeah. when they're anonymous like really really mean and it's not something that they'd ever actually say to you in person but for some reason they think oh that they can and that it won't affect you and you need to be conscious of that and to understand that someone else's opinion of your work is not you know reflective of your value or even actually the value of the work Uh, obviously we are not holding out get out of jail free cards for people who go on the reviews and are actually just dicks so for example shauna mcguire who i'm big fan of had several reviews from this bloke who said well clearly she's too fat to write a sensible plot anymore and it's like that's not a review that's just somebody going on the internet and being abusive because they're a dick let, let, let's be clear that's that's not yeah. somebody who is intelligently reviewing a book no no um yeah i have no time for for that to be honest like if i don't like a book i will usually just put it to the side um Obviously, Jules and I in the past have talked about books that we haven't liked and have, you know, have picked on certain things. Um, But I do like to be fair when it comes to these particular things. For the most part, if there's a book I don't like, I don't review it because I will usually appreciate that it's not for me. If there's a book which I feel has done something particularly wrong or damaging... um, or that it, it won't cause any, you know, poor effects if I point these things out, then I mean for instance, like Sarah J. Mass, it doesn't she doesn't she doesn't give a damn. She yeah. pro- she doesn't know we exist. It doesn't matter if we if if Jules and I occasionally point out some of the, the things that we dislike about the Accord of Thorns and Roses series, because that's not yes, gonna make a damn bit of a difference. <laughs> but if I've 
if I've read a book by a, you know, an indie author, and I really haven't liked it, you know, I yeah, just it's a case it. of. Um, I think it's a for me personally because I try and review everything because I feel it's good practice for myself, and also I'm kind of practicing the whole book karma yeah. thing in the hopes that people will review my books. Yeah, of course. Um, but also, it, it's and sometimes a one star review can actually help you sell more books because. The things that someone did yeah. not like about your book can be the things that your target audience will go, oh my God, that's exactly what I want in a book. And I've definitely picked up books because mm. they've had that sort of review. And I know loads of other people have too. Um, it's when you're being massively unfair. And I think you should be able to say what is good about something. If you genuinely can't find anything good to say about the book, well, A, why did you bother finishing it? Because life is too short. And B, why would you spend even more time than writing about it? It, it just doesn't make any yeah. sense. I get. Well, look, I also get that sometimes people read something and then they've got to put it down in yeah. a rage. Um, you know, I'm not judging people for writing bad reviews. You've got reasons to do that. Um, I don't like the trend that some people will leave bad reviews because actually bad reviews yeah. gain more traction. So there are people who write bad reviews because they want more people to read their reviews. And bad reviews tend to be funnier, quicker, easier to read, and as I said, to be more noticeable than good reviews. So I don't particularly like that trend, particularly if you yourself didn't even really dislike the book. I also completely disapprove of the trend of reviewing a book that you haven't read. Yes, yeah, that's not okay. And certainly one-starring something you haven't read just because you think, or your your friend or a reviewer you admire said that it has things in that you won't like. I mean, that that's nonsensical. It, it's mm. stupid. It doesn't, you know, the whole review system is meaningless. Okay, um, let's go on yeah. to talking briefly about covers, because again, this is something I feel I've learned a lot about in terms of, because mm. um, you start out as a newbie author and maybe you get that publishing contract and it's amazing and um, maybe your publisher even consults you on the cover, which by the way, people, is not a given mm. thing. Unless it's in your contract, they're not obliged to show yeah. you the cover. Um, before it's even published most yeah. publishers will do as kind of a courtesy thing but you might not have very much say in it at all um mm. but what you like and what will actually sell the book are two very very different things and what you see as being the essence of your book in art form on a cover probably won't sell that book to a target audience uh, a few years ago i was at a festival of writing in york and I was talking to another writer. She writes uh, not basically paranormal romance. And she said she was so frustrated because she hated the genuinely personally on a visceral level, hated the trend of having shirtless buff men on paranormal romance covers. So she when she she, yeah. she indie published hers and she tried to do something different. She did something that kind of was a bit more urban fantasy, but with some steamy stuff, but without obvious naked people. And she said her books didn't sell. Mm. And they didn't sell, and they didn't sell, and didn't sell. And then finally, she went and she changed the covers to shirtless guys, and then she started making a couple of thousand a month. And I'm sorry, but that yeah. is the way it is, because people shop with their eyes, especially on things like Amazon, um, 
So your cover needs to scream, literally scream what the genre is and what your book is about. It doesn't matter whether you personally really like the cover as long as it tells people what it is. At least if your goal is to sell the book, put it that way. Yeah. Now, that that's not to say that if you have a different vision for what your cover should look like, you know, that no, you're not allowed to do that. Um, I mean, so <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Jules and I are both writing urban fantasy. Our front covers are very different. You guys haven't seen the front covers of the Castrol Saga yet, but it's a very, very different style. Um, and there's a very particular reason for why my urban fantasy doesn't have people on the front. <laughs> um, namely that it is almost impossible to find appropriate stock photos of my main character, Kestrel, um, because she's not thin. I mean, you could find some, but you tend to find them with... I could... They're, they're not really dressed like Kestrel, so you'd be doing a lot of chopping and changing around. No. There would be there would be a lot of chopping and changing, and to be honest, the general tone it it doesn't quite work. So the style of the book cover is is different. I still think it works, but you know I may that may be up to you know the test of time. I do obviously have a little bit of design background in terms of doing book covers, um, and have had some successes in that. So you know, time will tell time will tell whether it's successful or not um before it goes out though i have put it in front of a <laughs> put it in front of people and said is this something you'd pick up and that's there's been a general successful response but i don't know i really don't know and that and that is the thing at the end of the day the other thing is that i i personally know of front covers that i've really disliked that jules actually likes and vice versa yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm drawing a blank on them at the moment, but yeah, I think there have been. Well, like for instance, you actually kind of like the the front the the covers of Spinning Silver, oh, right? And I love the American, the American versions, versions, and I hate the UK versions. I <laughs> yeah. Whereas I actually quite like the UK versions. Um, then also, there's the. Uh, Oh gosh, what comes um, the to Dresden like, Files, the, where I um, really, really like that particular artist's work. He also does the covers for the October Day series by Shauna Maguire. I love his work, and yeah, you prefer and the I, older style, don't you? I do prefer the older style. I really liked it. It was plain, it was simple, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I also, I don't really like the, the covers for the throne of glass Whereas books. I quite I liked them they were quirky um, I mean I don't think they really said to me young adult fantasy or anything they didn't really tell me about the book but I just thought yeah they're kind of cool but I, I see I see your point <laughs> yeah whereas yeah I it completely it just didn't work for me at all um I really just didn't like the way that Serena or whatever her name is Selena um, <laughs> looked Selena whatever I, I haven't read the books, okay? Um, and her name changes yeah, like three times, so you know, like, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I just didn't like it at all. So that's the thing is, and and this is this is really important to recognise is that I'm technically Jules' yeah. ideal reader. Yeah, 
and you know we Jules and I have a lot of crossover when it comes to book tastes and yet sometimes we are so in agreement on on loving a book cover and sometimes we are completely opposite ends of the spectrum so it's going to be hit and miss guys it is I mean you can't please everyone but the one thing you can do depending on and it doesn't have to be within one style you don't have to go my route with um what I've leaned into is the the typical urban fantasy figure of a human on the cover, stock photos, sparks and magical effects, mm-hmm. etc. You don't have to do that. Um, you can find something else that fits the genre. Yeah. As long as it screams that that's what the genre is, that's the important part. And yeah. there are many ways of many ways of screaming yeah, urban fantasy at somebody. <laughs> yeah, but I absolutely. did think that was interesting because. I don't think anyone ever really talked me through this and I don't think um, new authors really get told that when they're asked for their opinion on covers, what they should be doing is looking at books like theirs in the same genre and looking at what's selling well and how they are packaged in terms of blurb, title and cover. Because that's the other thing, your title might change and your blurb is an important piece of copy that is used for marketing. So this is not a case of... I say blurb, I, I mean the synopsis, the bit you read when you want to know more about what's in a book. Yeah. Yeah. These they days, just, they put just put reviews, reviews. which is really <laughs> annoying because you really actually annoying. want to know what's in the book. So, yeah, I don't think that's a trend that's going to last yeah. forever. No, I hope not. So, uh, let's move Time on. Growth because, uh, we... <laughs> Time growth late. Time growth late. You have permission to talk about yes, your book. this is a huge one. And... It's one of the things I say whenever uh, another one of my friends sort of breaks through that, oh my God, my book's being published thing. I'm like, start talking about it now. Like, oh, shouldn't I wait until it's published? No, no, no. Mm. Start talking about it now. Find the social media platform you like and go and be a person on it, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is a broad way of saying, yeah, go and be yeah. you. Talk about the things you're, in, you're passionate about, the things you love. Go and, yeah. and make connections. And it, you, you know what? If you're not also, if you're not savvy on social media, which to be honest, as an author, you need to find something. But if you know you you're not great on social media, you can also talk yeah. about it in person within certain groups. Like let's say you're part of a you know, let's say you write novels about horse riding and you're part of you know a stable and you know you've got a horse riding group. Tell them about it, guys. If you're part of like a, of, of a Sunday, you know, reading club, tell them about it, guys. One of the huge hurdles for me initially was admitting I'd written a book at all. And I don't just mean sort of coming out to my family saying, oh, by the way, I've written a book, um, which was really difficult. But it, just talking generally to other people. And I don't mean thrust it into every conversation, whether it's appropriate or not, but get used to the idea of talking about the fact that you write because gone are the days when a book can be released and no one knows anything about the author the days of the hermit author are over you need to be a person and a presence as well and how you do that is up to you um but also it's kind of fun Mm. you've had to keep it to yourself all this time why not talk about it why not enjoy the fact that you've actually completed a book because less than 10 percent of people who set out to write a book actually ever do that yeah. And also, this is when actually having a little sort of group of writers really, really does make a difference. Because sometimes, for whatever reason, it might be difficult to talk about your book 
with other people directly, but to talk about it publicly or not with a fellow writer is a good form of advertising and it's also it, it relieves a lot of the stress because they know what you're going through um and if they're writers they're likely readers as well so they're already yeah, invested definitely. too um this is a, another big one is don't forget to have fun because yes writing can be a bit of a slog at times and it can be quite a lonely thing at times mm-hmm. um and yeah. there's a lot of heartbreak attached even when you get an agent or you 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 might get an agent and not sell your book to a publisher you might sell your book to a publisher and then it just doesn't sell for whatever reason it tanks um or you you might god forbid sell it to a publisher they publish it or they send out review copies and some asshole online goes this is problematic and everyone tries to cancel you for no reason when they haven't read your book i mean it can happen um that's what i mean that there's heartbreak attached to it so be in the moment, enjoy it, have fun with it. Think of fun little side things you could do. It's like um, with, I, I kept getting questions about what music I listen to when I'm writing. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, I, I've got a very eclectic music taste and I jump around. But for Harker and Blackthorn, I've created a playlist for every single book and I'm going to release them so that people can go and check it out at their leisure if they want to. I've even got little little covers yeah. um, for each for each playlist as well on Spotify. And I know Madeline's doing something um, to do with T-shirts, I believe. <laughs> Which sounded really dicey when I said it like that, but I meant to, specifically with Kestrel in mind. God, I'm so sorry. Kestrel wears a lot of very specific <laughs> T-shirts with very specifically, with very specific sorts of references that, are overly specific far overly specific like in the second book she has a t-shirt which in fact no i'm not going to tell people i'm not going to tell people you guys are going to find out i think it's a t-shirt i'm thinking of and i'm like yeah i'm down for this yes yeah Um, (laughs) you've inspired me to the point where i'm like well maybe i should actually create some of these things and they can be out there (laughs) yeah exactly Exactly. Um, and, you know, I've written music for some of the books. There's a couple of songs, obviously, um, that have appeared in The Sons of Thirstian and a theme for The Sons of Thirstian, which I've written, um, which are up on my SoundCloud and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so, you know, there's lots of ways that you can you can create or that you can just Definitely. share, you know, um, enjoy say, it. Say, enjoy I've it, written guys. very, very... <laughs> I say very bad. I have written songs for Harker and Blackthorn. Whether you'll ever get the music, I don't know. We'll see. I will. will (laughs) You're going to do this, like, appear and drill into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) You say that like I haven't done it before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair point. Hey, Jules. (laughs) So, yes, have fun. As Madeline said, there's lots of ways of doing it, even if it's kind of even if it's like creating little little cartoon versions of your characters or um, creating mood boards. I mean, I always think the mood boards on Pinterest look really cool, but I just I don't have the time to, to devote to it. Yeah. Um, also, having fun, that can be both public and it can be, you know, within small groups. 
Jules and I have written all sorts of stuff for each other. <laughs> that she'll never, based, never be shared. Our books that will never, no one will ever see these things, but they have been created and they have been fun. So Yes, we spent, <laughs> we spent all pretty much all of last Christmas doing a back and forth over yes, two characters. Yes, yeah, which... which Again, will never be we'll shared. Will never be shared with anyone we'll else. Never and be guys, shared. you don't want to see it. <laughs> no, but it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, you wrote me a Christmas, like a a fan fiction, which was the, the sort of a, a Sons of Thestian, the Christmas Carol. Yes. <laughs> which was hilarious. It was great. No one's ever going to see that, but I want you guys to know that it's in existence somewhere. <laughs> Anyway, um... <laughs> um, okay, so don't embrace a poverty mindset. What this means is it can be really easy to be daunted by how many books are out there, particularly when people are indie publishing. And the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if another million more came out tomorrow or whenever and every day thereafter, because readers read in specific ways and the things they like are highly specific. So take fantasy. The people who like fantasy don't just like all fantasy ever. They like fantasy with specific styles, specific tropes, specific settings. It's incredibly niche what people genuinely like. And even if you're only catering to that one very tiny intersected niche, you've probably still got thousands and thousands of readers. Your real challenge is just connecting with them in the first place, which is where having fun, being a person and talking about your work actually gets you. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember, when you're writing something within a p specific genre um, or within a p specific niche, you are part of that niche. Be part of that niche. Be part of that community. Yes. Don't just stand on the outside and expect everyone, <laughs> everyone on the inside to automatically know. I mean, I have to say, uh, as as little as I knew when I start when the first book came out. Um, my first book ever, there was somebody in my writing group who had written a book which needed work, it, but it had the promising bones of a story there. And this person thought that they could just put it, he literally said this, thought that they could just fling it up on Amazon and it would do fine. And um, I was kind of in a, a state of that's not I don't know very much, but I know that's not going to work. You can't do that. You you can't just fling it out there and think it's going to find its target audience. It's not going to. You're, you're going to be so yeah. horribly disappointed. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's not... I mean, that wouldn't work if you did it the traditional way. Uh, publishers spend a lot no. of money, or, you know, they're supposed to spend a lot of money on marketing. <laughs> they, yeah. they spend a lot of money on marketing the books they think they can sell anyway, put it that way. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, there, there's a lot to be said about some of the invisible processes that go on um, in traditional publishing, which makes it look like a book just appears. Um, yes. It doesn't just appear. The overnight <laughs> like yes, the overnight bestseller, which has been 10 years in the making. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Let, let's, I suppose, yeah, we should briefly cover actually publishing. <laughs> in fact, you know what, guys? Um, publishing itself is too big for us to get into, and we have really discussed a lot of it before. So yeah. 
if you want specific questions answered or you want our take on something or you want a whole episode about something you know where to contact us so yeah. get in touch let us know we do take requests for episodes yeah we do we have in the past um it's been great fun when people have said hey we want these um so yeah please do let us know remember you can get in contact with us via our facebook our twitter or our tumblr both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages yeah um i guess we should probably sort of finish off by talking about our own hopes and dreams <laughs> and writing journeys yeah um where each of us is now as opposed to where we were on Dissecting Dragons episode one, which is such a long time ago. <laughs> it was an incredibly long time ago. Um, Jules has published a mountain of books since then. <laughs> I really, do you know, I suppose from certain, from other people's perspectives, it looks like I've done a lot. From my perspective, knowing how much more I, knowing how many more books are on my mental shelves and how many more I want to get out there and and all these stories that I have to tell. I have to. It's not just because I want to. I have to. I feel like yeah. I haven't done very much. But I suppose from someone else's perspective, it looks like I've gone absolutely crazy and just, I'm just firing books out here, there and everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing, though, sort of being with Jules on, on this journey because, you know, you start off with this, with I Belong to the Earth. And now, you know, you've written historical fiction urban fantasy you know and i also know of things to come and there's just so much yeah Mad madeline's um, um several books ahead of everybody else <laughs> on this and she's probably about to get another one very soon oh my god yes <laughs> um, Ma madeline is my 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 test audience for all of you so and yeah. generally catches me when i do something really dumb as well <laughs> which helps <laughs> Yeah, but because I'm her test audience, I also have a say in asking and requesting specific things. So if you find overly specific things within the book, that's a weird trope. This that's a weird trope. <laughs> that's a weird trope which we see a lot of in Madeline's writing. Yes, uh, Jules is appeasing me. <laughs> I will not apologize. <laughs> yeah, uh, always where it fits, but definitely mm. I'm not yeah. above doing that. I'm not above a little bit of um audience service shall we say <laughs> but yeah okay for, for me I obviously I started off with I Belong to the Earth which really was supposed to be standalone and then got sold as part of a series and then I was like ah oh, shit I need to write a series um been through a lot of that anyway and obviously now I've indie published that entire series and it a lot it's largely done apart from a second collection of short stories and novellas which is coming um, hopefully next year I keep having to put it on the back burner because other things get in the way but they are it is about half done and it is coming yeah um and I got seduced into historical fiction so I co-wrote two books and then I wrote three more by myself and I've got more planned in the future because I do enjoy historical fiction and right now I'm super focused on Harker and Blackthorn and I've got any number of other series in on the back burner as well so you yeah. know I'm I'm not a dead golden goose laying golden egg laying goose just yet no no there are many more eggs to come um it's very exciting <laughs> and i have to say um in terms of writing and planning and even marketing i think i've hit my stride more with harker and blackthorn i finally feel confident to put it out there and say 
this is good. This might not be for you, but it's good. And yeah. I enjoyed writing it. I enjoyed the process of, of putting it out there. I'm even enjoying the process of talking about it. And I will absolutely crack um, advertising and stuff as well. Because I'm now willing to invest in myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas Madeline um, has gone on a slightly different journey to me. <laughs> I have I've, I have gone on a different journey. Um, obviously... Uh, I work in academia. Um, I've published two books, a um, few short stories. Um, I've gone on to do my master's. I've started teaching in that time. Um, and during that time, I started to develop um, a skill in writing for children, which is what I did my master's in. And I've been working on that. I've worked with the Golden Egg Academy. Um, it's been brilliant. But I hyper-focused on, on really working on that skill. And I worked on one book for an incredibly long period of time. Um, obviously, I also had some personal things, which is why <laughs> some things have slowed down, you may have noticed. Um, and since then, you know, I'm now hired as a you know, creative writing lecturer. And I have an agent, um, uh, Lucy Irvine, who's brilliant um, and who is representing me for some of my children's fiction. Um, in the meantime, as well as writing several children's books, which are now sort of being edited and picked at and completed, um, I've been writing an urban fantasy series um, and I promise I have actually been working on book three of the Marshy Cycle. <laughs> I have been. <laughs> Every so often, Madeline will say, oh yeah, I've been writing this. I'm like, Kestrel? Because obviously that's my, my go-to initially. And it's like, no, no, Marshy Cycle. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so I promise she's, she's, is... she, is, she, is, she is working on it. Definitely. That is acceptable. <laughs> Jules melts back into the, into the shadows. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly how it happens, actually, in fairness. Yeah, that's exactly how it but, happens. I mean, in all fairness, I don't know if I'm Madeline's ideal reader or not, but I want everything she's got to write. It's just I would like it in the order that I want it in, which I realise is completely unrealistic <laughs> and, you know, not a fair thing to impose on anyone, let alone a fellow writer. But I'm holding my hand up and saying that, yeah, there is part of me that can be like, I want to read that now and now that and... Um, you know, the the ongoing joke is that I would put Madeline in my basement and just make her write in order that I want her to, which I don't think would actually work very well. But No, <laughs> but... But it yeah, is a temptation. I, it, it's a temptation. It's a temptation. Um, see, I don't need to be tempted to do the same for Jules because she, she does it anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's definitely been... Um, a journey not always a very happy one i think for me i feel like i've learned a lot i feel like i've developed a lot of skills both in terms of marketing and figuring out my audience and figuring myself out i think another thing which you know has differed between jules and i is that we have come at this from two very different perspectives in terms of the fact that first of all everyone already knew i was a writer um because, you know, when I first started 
when I first had, um, you know, the Sons of Thirsty and published, I was doing a creative writing degree. My parents knew what I wanted to do. My friends knew what I wanted to do. Most of them had already read the Sons of Thirsty. I say most of them. My close friends had read the Sons of Thirsty and, you know, um, it was a very different perspective. Jules, meanwhile, was a closet writer. Yes. Um, she wasn't letting anyone know. Um, and so we had developed different skills in terms of that. But I also think that Jules... Um, because Jules is older than me and thus wiser than me. <laughs> I love the way that you gently tiptoed into that. No, I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that we, uh, you know, Madeline, start, uh, obviously I started writing very young. It's just no one knew yeah. and I showed nobody nothing. So, yeah, I should. Uh, but obviously Madeline became a published writer quite young and there is a big change of perspective you go through um, in your 20s yeah. or, you know, for most people. It certainly was for me and I think the person I am personally now in my perspective has changed again from my early 30s to my early 40s it's just you know that's that's the way things happen so that 13 year age gap between us um does I think it does play into things a little bit I mean I think you're absolutely right it's informed the fact that we've come from different perspectives yeah absolutely um and you know, from some very personal things, which have you know, which we've both gone through at different times and things like that, um, these things have affected our writing journey. Um, sometimes it's made part of the writing journey very hard. Sometimes it's made part of the writing journey very easy. We've had our ups and downs. Um, what I can say for sure is that so much of my writing journey has been with jewels and to the point where i cannot separate these things which is why i think i'm so such an advocate for the idea of connecting with other authors and that's not necessarily that's not about pestering other authors it's about making meaningful connections walking with someone being part of their journey celebrating when they have had successes you know coming to them when you've had difficulties offering support feedback um you know all of these things which are which are you know part and parcel of being a community creating these friendships um because honestly i don't think i'd have been able to do it without jules i have to say i i don't know that i would have given up but i think i would have climbed back into the woodwork and i'd just mm. be doing things covertly again um, so, because as I've said, my big hurdle was getting over just talking about the fact that I was writing. It seems insane to me now because I'm just like, no, this is this is clearly who I am. This is part of what I do. This is part of me. It's the central yeah. part of me. Um, but I know looking back that that was something that was a really big issue for me. And I would not have come out through the other side of that without Madeline. Madeline, who just sort of went into it with this sort of um, certainly at the time, very youthful sense of joy and optimism. And oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. I'm like, what made you think to do all those things? You're making it look like it's fun rather than just work. It's just work. It's always been just work. It's something I have to do. So um, yeah. having someone who comes from a different perspective like that is incredibly valuable. I don't think we can overestimate the value of writing buddies. And if you if you're lucky enough to have yourself a writing bestie who also happens to be kind of like your ideal reader as well, then 
you know, don't, you know, maybe don't chain them up and put them in your basement, but you'll have the temptation to do so and you should resist it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been an incredible journey. Um, like I said, not always necessarily a happy one, but one which I don't regret. Um, and yeah, one in which Dissecting Dragons, I think, certainly has played a large part as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, weirdly, talking about things out loud and, and gently arguing about whether we agree or disagree and taking things apart and then actually contradicting ourselves a year later because we've changed our minds about certain things. And we do that a lot in this. If you, I mean, if you start with episode one and go all the way to this episode, episode 300, <laughs> we'll have changed our minds at least half a dozen times on pretty much everything. And that's, we, we, that's normal. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, t- we're certainly very different people <laughs> from those episode one those episode one people we <laughs> we've uh, we've evolved. We were so nervous. It took us fifteen minutes to start on that episode because we were giggling so much. We were. We were laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's... So so yeah. I, I guess we should probably finish up by perhaps offering any word of encouragement to anyone out there who's starting up on the journey or who's hit a hiccup in the journey or is sort of struggling to kind of find the next step. Yeah. Um, writing is a joy. And if you are not finding joy in it, take a step back to look at why. Is it because you are being forced into a corner by expectations you're putting on yourself? Is it because you are not actually writing about what you care about? Is it because of some other circumstances outside of that which are ultimately affecting your writing? Is it because you're not actually enriching yourself in terms of consuming other writing um, and connecting with other people? Take a look at why it's not bringing you joy um, and address that because writing is also a, a product of life and life can benefit your writing and also hinder it yeah absolutely um and i'd add to that that if we can do it you can absolutely do it too we're, we're not finished on our writing journey no. um we're still moving forward we still have the next thing that we want to attain but i have to say i've come so much further than i could have believed i would have done in that amount of time and i think madeline would probably say the same herself about her own journey and yeah. yeah, we've got further we want to go and you absolutely can do it too. That it it's a marathon, it's not a race. Um yeah. and again, you're not really racing against anybody except yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird thing in that right now with everything that I've been through and stuff like that, I almost feel like I'm only just starting. <laughs> Like you've just completed, you've completed the sort of initial period and now you're in apprenticeship territory almost. Yeah. Yeah. To use karate terms, I feel like I've gotten through all the coloured belts and, and now I'm actually starting my karate journey. Does you know, I just, sense? I deliberately thought, no, 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 I'm not going to use a black belt reference because black it is belt. exactly like that. I mean, getting it your black is. belt in karate basically means that you are first apprentice. You can now learn to do it properly. And it is exactly yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the first rung. 
Um, but yeah, uh, d- don't be discouraged. You can absolutely do it. Nobody, all the, there's there's a lot of snobbery and things around writing. And the thing is, as we've said, talent is by and large a myth. You might have it, but it just gives you a slight advantage. It's like having longer legs and deciding you want to learn ballet. You're going to have an advantage yeah. over someone who's a bit shorter. Um, yeah, it, you can you can still do something with what you've got and different types of writing mean the world to different audiences you don't have to be writing what you think you should be writing you should be writing what you really passionately want to write yeah be a part of the community that you're writing for if you don't actually like literary fiction don't write literary fiction and the same unless you're really weird <laughs> the same goes the other way i mean it's not more valuable than genre fiction, but if you don't like genre fiction and you don't want to write werewolves or whatever, then don't write that. Write what you really, really want to write. In fact, write yeah. somewhere between the two if you think you can sell it. Yeah. And also, a successful writer, it's not going to be about how much money you make. You know, if you want to be a professional writer in terms of making a living out of it, then, you know, you're going to have to hit certain marks you're going to have to do certain things but if you are writing just for the sheer joy of writing don't feel discouraged because you know you're not writing something which has been picked up by a publisher you know yeah Um, no matter what type of writing you're trying to do you know embrace it enjoy it it was a really telling or really interesting beautifully formed um tweet i saw the other day occasionally twitter is valuable and this person said um i was writing and my dad who's also a writer came in and said uh, what are you writing and she said oh well i'm only writing fan fiction in a sort of very throwaway way and her father stopped her and said no that's the genre you're writing in what are you writing and she was like um oh uh, then i'm writing about how different people deal with isolation and loneliness and feeling cut off and it was her reflection of what was going on with covid and he said yeah that's the core of your story that's the heart of your story that's what you're writing the fact that you're writing it in fan fiction doesn't matter because that's simply the the water you're swimming in at its precise moment it doesn't make it less valuable so yeah it doesn't matter what you're writing um it, it doesn't matter what genre you're writing in what matters is that you are writing with authenticity i guess yeah i think the biggest piece of advice that i can give and it's the advice i put out into the world hoping to receive and to see is be kind be kind to yourself be kind to others just be kind yeah um it in a world which is so filled with hatred Well, certainly we get to see most of it. Yeah, we see a lot of it. If you like something, celebrate it. If you're enjoying something, enjoy it. Be kind to one another um, and be kind to yourself. I think that's something that maybe at times younger Madeline would have appreciated (laughs) hearing. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, guys, um, it is time for us to go. Before we do, I do have a recommendation, um, if I may, Jules. Please do. 
So uh, a little while back, I watched uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Um, new Marvel movie, uh, first Asian uh, superhero in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, of of their own main movie. Um, it was actually a really I really enjoyed it as a film. I can understand why some people might not sort of want to engage with it, but for me, it was bright. It was funny. It was well acted. Um, it it will have definitely appealed to anyone who was fond of the old Kung Fu kind of genre of the 80s. Um, I think the fight sequences were excellent um, and definitely reminiscent of that style. And um, yeah, all in all, I actually, I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a really fun good movie um and particularly nice as we're obviously stepping out of you know the original avengers crew after endgame and we're sort of getting into new territory so i definitely recommend it to anyone who might be interested um it was just it was just a good old watch i think cool and on that note guys we will say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.